the first of those words is bios, B-I-O-S. And that is physical and biological life. It's our, it's our bodies. It's our outer bodies. The life of the body. The experience of the body. The other one is an interesting word. And it's the word zoe. Z-O-E. And it has to do with the quality of your life experience. You see, you can be physically alive and have a horrible quality of life. Welcome to Reliable Truth with best-selling author Richard E. Simmons III. And now your host, Richard E. Simmons III. We have a lot to cover. There's a lot said here. Uh, I don't think we'll probably get through it all. We'll, it'll, we'll, it'll spill over into two weeks from now. Um, you know, what, what you notice throughout the book of John is there are a number of words um, that are used uh, consistently. For instance, if you pay a close attention, you go in a concordance and, and, and look up, for instance, the word light, L-I-G-H-T. It's amazing the number of times it turns up in the book of John. The phrase eternal life is used a lot. Obviously, um, not only is it mentioned, but you know how we attain eternal life. But one of the things that Jesus does, <clears throat> He uses a lot of different metaphors and images to help us to understand certain concepts, particularly eternal life. And one of the ways He does it, He says... And you only see it in John. You, know, you see a lot of... He, he comes forth and says, I am. Like he says, I am the door. You have to enter through me. He says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. He says, I am the light of the world. I am the good shepherd. And here we read about him saying, I am the bread of life. And so he uses the image of, of, of bread, which, by the way, was one of the, I guess, kind of the central staple, food staple, in that, at that particular time in history. And if you think about it, bread, like all food, you take it into your body, and the energy of the food you eat is released within you. And that's physically. And Jesus is saying, that's what I've come to do in your innermost being, in your, in your heart and your soul. That's what He wants to do with us spiritually. I mean, you see Him, look at I mean, look, look at the number of times He says, verse 27. <clears throat> he says, Do not work for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. Uh, look at verse 33. He says, for the bread of God is that which comes down out of heaven and gives life to the world. Verse 35, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger. He who believes in me will never thirst. And then 48, I am the bread of life. Your forefathers ate the manna in the desert, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which a man may eat. And not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. 
I mean, you see this, this theme of being the bread of heaven, the bread of life that has come down out of heaven. And, and this is quite interesting, what I'm here to share with you. And I think it, it's enlightening. And hopefully it will be enlightening to you. You know, the Greek language is, is interesting. It's, it's much more dynamic than the English language. For instance, we use the word love. We throw love around. It's almost a meaningless word. Where the Greeks have several different words for love. They have the word philio. P-H-I-L-E-O. Which is kind of brotherly love. Or friendship type of love. Then you have eros. E-R-O-S. Erotic. Romantic love. You have agape love. Which is selfless Christ-like love. And so that's what... You see this in a number of areas. But where you also see it, and where this is most significant, is there are two different word, Greek words that are used for life. And the first of those words is bios. B-I-O-S. And that is physical and biological life. It's our, it's our bodies. It's our outer bodies. The life of the body. The experience of the body. The other one is an interesting word. It's the word Zoe. Z-O-E. And it has to do with the quality of your life experience. You see, you can be physically alive and have a horrible quality of life. And we, we encounter that a lot here in the work we do. And bread, when you see the word bread, it's normally linked to bios. Because it's something you eat and you maintain physical life. But what you read here in John, all the time, every time you see the word life, it's the word Zoe. And what we've said, we, we saw this with the woman at the well. Uh, I share this in the investigative study. Humans, this is our problem. We often look to things in life that are meant for the bios, the body, thinking they will, pro thinking they will produce Zoe. In other words, we look to the physical, sensual side of life, thinking that it will satisfy the thirsts of our souls. And it doesn't, in fact, because it can't. It's incapable of doing that. We read this also. I'm going to turn this real quick. This is what God says to the people of Israel. Bear with me here. This is from Isaiah 55. It says, Everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come by and eat. Now when he says, when you have no money, and come by and eat, he's talking about spirit, the, the, uh, the spiritual dimension of life. Because if you're going to go buy food and water and wine, it costs money. Literal food, water, and wine costs money. He says, come buy wine and milk. And you can do it without money, without cost. And on the other hand, why is it that you, in fact, do spend your money on what is not bread? And why do you spend your wages on all those things that don't really satisfy you? He says, listen carefully to me. 
eat what is good and delight yourself in abundance. Incline your ear and come to me. Listen that you might really live. Even though that's in Hebrew and they don't use what he's talking about, Zoe. Now, anybody, let me stop here. Comment or question or anything else, sir? Richard, what would you say, just curious, going back to the, your comment about how the, 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 the physical side of things does not, will not settle and address the spiritual, how, how does one discern whether they've got a, truly a physical or a spiritual need? I think we'll, I'll answer that through the course of this study. Alright? And if I don't, Raise your hand and say, how about addressing my, my question? All right, I think I'm going to, though. Anybody else? Okay. Whenever you see the word eternal life, <clears throat> it's not referring necessarily to an eternal existence because it uses the word Zoe in it. You see, an, an uh, eternal existence is not what we're after. Everybody's going to live eternally. What we're looking for is a Zoe eternal existence that starts now and extends into eternity. Guys, we're not here just to exist. God's will is that we really live. And this is what Zoe is. This is what Jesus offers. To live with a sense of purpose and joy and exhilaration. And the question that I would ask kind of relates to what Jim, is that true in your life? You see, by understanding Zoe, it helps us to understand the Scripture better too. That's why, <laughs> someone told me, if you really want to understand the Bible, learn Greek. I don't know many people that's going to go to the trouble to do that. But it really is helpful when, you, when, you're, when you're studying the Scripture to go and look up the Greek words. But it helps you understand other... Everybody keep your finger at, at John 6 and turn to John 10. Scott Reed, would you read verse 10? 10, John 10, 10. Sure. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life... How many people do you think out in the world think Jesus is kind of a thief that wants to steal my life and my fun and my enjoyment away from me? And he says, I'm no thief. I came that you might have Zoe, is what he says, and that you would have it in abundance. That's what God wants for us. But he's saying, I'm the source of that. The bread of heaven. Now, it helped me really understand, and I'll give Andy Stanley credit on this. Um, and I went back and looked. In November of 2013, which is what, three and a half years ago, I taught on three verses in the book of Galatians. And one of the verses just didn't quite, I didn't quite get it. And I'm going to explain to you why in a second. But once you understand what Zoe is, it makes sense. And you know the, the, the first verse, it's Galatians 6-7, which I think is one of the most crucial verses in Scripture explaining your life and my life. 
What does it say? Do not be deceived. God will not be what? Whatever man sows, this he shall also reap. Critical verse, guys. And notice he does, Jesus does, I mean, Paul doesn't say, you're going to reap what you sow. He says, first, don't be deceived. Now, why would he say that? Because we are so easily deceived when it comes to this principle. You heard me say this before. So many men think they can make terrible decisions and yet reap a a great harvest in life. That I can get away with it. I can make bad decisions and get away with it. It's kind of like the thought of, you know, I can plant watermelon seeds and get pumpkins. But the bottom line he's saying is, whatever you sow, you're going to reap what you sow. If you plant watermelon seeds, you're going to get watermelons. If you plant pumpkin seeds, you're going to get pumpkins. And he says, because I will not be mocked. You think you can make decisions, I will not be mocked. And then a crucial word, whatever. You know what that means? That's in any area of your life. Whatever you sow, you're going to reap. And so we need to look hard at the decisions that we make because decisions is really, the decisions and choices is what he's talking about. Every decision, every choice has some kind of consequence. Consequence, good word. Now, then I went into the next verse, and the next verse just kind of just didn't really make a whole lot of sense. Let me read it to you. The one who sows to please his sinful nature, from that nature is going to reap destruction. Well, I got that. I understand that. But then he says, the one who sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. And I thought, eternal life. I would have thought he had said, will reap a really great life here. And so it, did, it, it kind of didn't make sense to me until I understand, understood Zoe. Andy Stanley says, Zoe is fullness of life. John Stott said it even better. He says, it means to experience a full intensity of life now and throughout eternity. Bill. So if you, uh, another verb for sows would be um, follows. He, uh, you sow is, is, is uh, all right, who, who's good words? It's the planting. Yeah, okay. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of, the, you know, whatever decisions you, it's, it's, I, I see it as, as decision making, um, choices, and whatever you, choice you make, you're going to reap some, something. There was a, or there was a consequence. So you might can say, whatever man chooses this, he will also reap. He'll reap from his choices. I mean, think about your life today, guys. I mean, one day we'll probably understand this and know this. But think about your life. Your life today is nothing more than the sum of the decisions that you've made over the course of time. The bad decisions and the good decisions. And the more good ones you make, the more you're going to reap. Zoe. That's what he's saying there. That's why when you see the word eternal life, it has the word Zoe in it. It means life now and eternal. It's not eternal existence. It's real life. And this is what everybody is seeking. This is what everybody is searching for. And yet, it's so elusive because you're not looking to the source, the bread of heaven. We look at, and what we, and going back to what Jimbo, and we're looking for it in the bios. 
We're not looking into the true bread of life. We're looking for it in the bios, out in the world. But Jesus, Jesus is saying, the bread of heaven is where it's found. That's what he's saying to these people in verse 27. He's talking about Zoe. In verse 33, he's talking about Zoe. In 35, Zoe. And he's saying, if you don't experience Zoe, you're not really living. And unfortunately, this could be true in Christians' lives. That we're not really looking to Christ as the real source of life. And we're working, therefore, the food which he talks about in verse 20 said, the food that perishes. Or as Isaiah said, the bread that does not satisfy. And this is why the Bible speaks often of Zoe, or excuse me, of false Zoes, which generally are idols in our lives, which we talked about back in January. You see, all the false Zoes depress your mind's ability to see reality. It dulls the understanding of reality. That's what Paul tells us back in Romans 1. If you don't look for Zoe in the bread of heaven, you'll become darkened in your understanding of life. You'll exchange the truth of God for a lie. And you'll worship and serve created things instead of the Creator. Now many people think verse 35 is one of the most significant verses that Jesus ever says. When he says, I am the bread of life. But because of it, of, of his and let me let me let's stop here real quick. Let me say this. You gotta remember who he's talking to. If you weren't here last week, then it won't mean as much to you. But these are the same people that, that walk nine miles to hear Jesus teach and heal, and he fed them all, and then he they go back across the the, uh, the Sea of Galilee, and the people follow him. And when we what we read is he says, you know, y'all are here. Y'all saw this great sign. They want remember what they they wanted to make him what? King. He wanted to make him king. And then here he starts teaching, and what do they start doing? Grumbling. They start grumbling. When you get to the end of this chapter, Russell's on his game today. <laughs> When you get to the end of chapter 6, a lot of these people abandon him. These are, and a lot of them are followers of his. It's kind of like they go, want to make him king. They start grumbling. They abandon. And then down the road, they start yelling to crucify him. I'm convinced some of these people were the same ones in the crowd yelling, crucify him. And this is when most people think, you know... At a certain point, everybody loves Jesus. He heals. He teaches. He makes them feel good, I guess. They make him, he makes them feel good. About, and now he starts talking about something, and they don't like it as much. He starts saying, I'm the, the, he's talking about the bread of heaven. That's one thing. But he says, I am the bread of heaven. And they say, what do they say? This is Joseph's son. What in the world is he talking about? They don't like it. Now, um, David, is that, is that, do, you, do you ever think? I mean, I'm just going to be, be admitting, admit it here. Um, you going to you going to what? Admit it. Oh, that's that, okay. That if, I mean, if I was, you know, we have the benefit of the Bible and looking back and a lot of preaching, and but if I was standing there, 
back in that day. I'm, I'm kind of mystify you, wouldn't it? I, I think I'd be going, "What is this guy talking about?" Yeah. Jim Boyer, Jim Boyer made a great st- statement on that yesterday morning. He says, "You know, really to get this, you have to have spiritual eyes. I mean, you you, you got to." And in one sense, he's right. Um, and I I kind of agree with you. I'm not, you know, I don't, I'm not sure how I'd have responded. So I'm you really know? worried. I'm yeah. really worried. I've been going. Well, good, you know what the good news is? You're not back there. Then you're here now. You got right. the whole. That's you right. got the whole story right I, here in front of you. Amen. <laughs> Amen to that. <laughs> <laughs> well, the good news is you got. You might have gotten to see of, see of the resurrection, so that might have changed your mind a little bit. If you if you were back there, because right. a lot of people got to see that. Right. Yeah. Anybody else? Well, he does bring up an interesting point. After after people are witnessing these things, and if their idea is this earthly king, and he's he's created this dynamic shift in that, then all of a sudden yeah. they've got to decide, they've got to choose what belief system they're going to adopt. And you know what really ultimately turned the Jews away from him was when he let himself be crucified, because they said there is no way. Our Messiah would ever let that happen to him. Yet it's prophesied in the Old Testament. So, yeah. we, is that we, still their hang-up? Huh? Is that still their hang-up? Uh, you know, I don't, I don't really know what their hang-up is. Uh, as someone told me, I, I asked this guy, uh, I heard him speak a number of years ago. He was Jewish. He'd become a Christian, and he was now, he is, he, I don't know if he still is, he was a minister at, at the largest church in Jerusalem. All right. And all, in fact, all of Israel. Today. And uh, I asked him uh, a question about about that. Uh, I asked him about Isaiah 53, which is about you know the the, the picture of of someone being crucified and, and and bearing the sins of the world. And I asked him. I said, "What do the what do the Jews say about Isaiah 53?" He says, "Most of them don't even look at it. They, it's, it's almost like they pretend it's not there." And then he, this is the point he made, Russell, is he said. You know, 80% of the Jews in the world are what called secular Jews. And he says, they don't know anything about Judaism. You asked them, you probably know, we probably know more about Judaism than they do. They don't care about it. Then you got 20%, he says, that are Orthodox. And you see them around town. They wear the little the, the thing. And they're serious about their faith. And I don't really know. It's a really good question. I don't know any Orthodox Jews to even have a conversation with. But it would be I, I, there uh, if I could sit down and talk. There are a number of questions I'd, I'd, I'd ask. Anybody else? It's interesting to Orthodox Jews because it seems like part of their regimen is like <coughs> see walking a lot. Like I think they, I, I don't think they can drive on on, on, the the, on their Sabbath. Yeah, Saturday. I think that's the case. Yeah. All right. What are the other eighty percent on the Sabbath? They're Jewish. Well, they 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 just they just think that they're okay because they're Jewish. I'm one of God's chosen people, and I you know that's all I have. All right, we we got to move on. We got to move on. I just got to find where we are. Yeah, we're covering a lot of ground. We are. We are. We are. Okay. Um, Jesus. Is telling them, and this is the struggle they have, that the bread of heaven is not a mystical force. It's not something that you read in the Old Testament. He says, the bread of heaven is a person. It's me. It's me. I am the great I am that we talked about last week. 
I've come in the flesh and I'm dwelling among you. And what he's really saying, guys, is, and I want to have a relationship with you. I want you to know me. And so I ask you to reflect on your own relationship because the relationship is the key. I mean, this, this is pretty, this is, this is not rocket science. What makes life so good are relationships. The problem is so many of us have, so many people have bad relationships and it's, it poisons their life. But he's saying, you know, good relationships, but more significantly, a relationship with the bread of life. And if you really get to know Jesus, I want to tell you something, it changes everything. But I ask you this question to think about your own relationship. Question, good question. Do you talk to him every day in a very real way? I mean, you do with your wife. But do you talk to God in a very real way? I'm not talking about saying the Lord's Prayer. But talking to Him. Number two, do you, do you find that He's teaching you new things in the Scripture? I mean, is He speaking to us? That, again, the relationship. Do you find that He's changing you? Because that's the ultimate byproduct of a relationship with God is He begins to change your life. And then finally, and only you can answer this, are you really living? Are you experiencing Zoe? Or are we just kind of existing? Again, only you can answer that. You see, guys, without Christ, there's no Zoe. If you don't have Him in your life, there's no Zoe. You have no real life. You see, He's the essential of life. because That's why He uses that word bread. That's why he's described as the bread of life. And in one of my uh, the commentaries that I use, William Barclays, he says the hum- hunger of the human soul is ended when you come to know Christ in a very real way. He says in Christ, the restless soul is at rest, the hungry heart is satisfied. And I'm sure this is what, what Augustine meant when he made that great statement. God, you have made us for yourself, and our hearts will not find rest until they rest in thee. Richard, we all know people that, you know, judgmentally, you know they're probably not Christians, Mm -hmm. or at least don't Mm -hmm. exhibit any of those behaviors. And they seem so full of life, so everything is just right. Do, 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 Do they not have Zoe? Do they, I mean... I, I, think, I mean, I don't, know, I don't know if you can answer. Anybody can answer. I, I'll give you my opinion. I'll give you my opinion. Um, <clears throat> I think they're faking it. Posers. Posers. Yeah. True. Now, I think they're fake. And, and it's kind of like <clears throat> the way they, I mean, were you, were you there Friday morning at BCC when I spoke? No. Well, you need to listen to it because I talk about it. I talk about this. I had a good excuse. I was out of town. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, now everybody knows why you weren't there. Well, well, don't be posing look, in here. Look, I, I've been jumped on too many times. <laughs> <laughs> I really was just asking because I, I, I talk I'm about it. But, um, uh, you know, one of the real problems, <clears throat> this is the strategy that people take in life, is that every single human being struggles with the fear of death and dying. All right? 
And the, every year that goes by, it gets worse. And so one of the things you do is you look for ways not to think about it. You divert the mind and you fill your life with activities. You fill your life so that you don't have to think about it. And that's what I think so many people do. But the problem is that strategy doesn't work. I mean, every day you begin to realize, as Paul says, we don't lose heart as Christians, even though the outer body is decaying, the inner man is being renewed day by day. And what he's saying is, if you don't have Christ, you are losing heart. Because you don't have any choice but to lose heart. Because your body is decaying, you're getting old, you're getting decrepit, and you're going to die. But we don't lose heart, he says. Because the outer, even our outer man, we have the opportunity to be renewed day by day by day. And so, that's what I believe. I, I could be wrong when I say somebody fakes it, but... You know, if you, if you don't have Christ, you don't have any real understanding of why am I here? What's the reason for my existence? What's, what does life hold for me when I die? And if you don't have answers to those questions, it leads to despair. It really does. Anybody else? Good question. Okay. One other th- Let me see. read what Keller says. And then we're going to look at something that's controversial. Controversial is not the right word. There's disagreement. And I'm going to lay both sides out, and you can kind of figure out where you are on this. All right? But let me read you what Keller says. He says, Do you see what it means to make Jesus the bread of your life? Something in this life, something in this life is your bread. There is something you are pursuing that you believe will lead to an abundant life. The question is, he says, Is it Jesus? Do you see that it's a personal relationship with Him? Because if not, just like he says in, in, in John 6, he says, if not, your bread is going to spoil. It's going to perish. It will not endure. And that's why he says, come, take, and eat the bread of heaven that endures to eternal life, that endures to Zoe. All right. You know, I've got a couple of little details I was going to just make comment about. But I'm not. We're going to go right into this last issue. Um, everybody look. Everybody, John 6? Mm-hmm. Todd, you want to read verses 43 and 44? Sure. That'd be great. Jesus answered and said to them, Do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will praise him up on the last day. I'll raise him up. I'm sorry. All right. What does it say in 44? No one can come to me except for who? Father. The Father what? Draws. Draws. Yeah. Father draws him. I want to read to you this ver- that same verse from the Amplified. Listen to this. It says, No one is able to come to me unless the Father who sent me attracts and draws, <coughs> attracts and draws him and gives him the desire to come to me. Jesus says it again in John 12. He says, when I'm lifted up, that's how I draw people to myself through the cross. And that's what He is saying, guys, is that we are Christians by the sheer grace of God. And He's saying, basically, we need to be drawn by God Himself. Why do you think God has to draw us? Because we won't do it. Because we don't want to come. We don't... Naturally, our natural desire is to not want Him. 
That's the, that's the nature of sin. To be autonomous. Turn, Keep your finger here. Go to Romans 3. Romans 3. Who wants to read? Right, boy, read. How about reading verse 10, 11, and 12? Romans, Romans 3, 10, 11, and 12. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away and together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. There's no one who seeks after God? Are you kidding me? Is that what he's saying? That's what it says. It comes from Psalm 14, by the way. Let me read you another verse. This is uh, Romans 8, 7. It says... The sinful mind of man is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. What he's saying here, guys, what Paul is saying is that human beings naturally are hostile to God and His Word. We don't naturally... Think about it. There's nothing natural about wanting to surrender your life to Christ. There's nothing natural about that. We want, to, we want to do our own thing. We want to live our lives. We want the freedom to do what we want to do. Because we're naturally rebellious and we're naturally self-centered. We naturally want our wills, not His. Again, I don't know how many of you were at the breakfast at the, at the, at the BCC, but I, I use the word unbelief. <coughs> but the Bible talks about this is one of our, our problems. Part of our depravity is unbelief. And what is unbelief? It's a willful refusal to follow Christ. It is intentionally leaving God out of your life. And this is why God has to draw us to Himself because we don't naturally want to come. Now, let me give you an example of this. A real life example in Acts. So if you would, turn to Acts 16. Acts 16, verse 14. Mike Shannon, you want to read that for us? Acts, I'm not there. You're not there? Okay. Acts, Acts chapter 16, 14. 14. 16, 14. It's about, talks about Lydia. You got it, Mike? 16, 14? Yep. There is, a trick, there is a trick word. One of the one of those listening was a woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, Thyatira, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. The Lord opened her heart. <clears throat> Paul did not open her heart, did he? Did Lydia voluntarily open her heart? Said no. Said the Lord opened her heart. You know, it says it says that we love him, not it says that we now love him not because we first loved him, but he first loved us. He pursued us, he drew us, he opened our hearts. 
Now, let me tell I'm going to share with you just a, a second about my own story. And then I'm going to lay out the two different views on this. And you'll see how there can be real disagreement here. All right? <clears throat> um, 44 years ago, or I guess it was, no, excuse me, 43 and a half years ago, I was a sophomore in college. I was 19. And I, it, was, it was in October of 1973. And I came home for, I think it was a football weekend. That's when Alabama used to play in Legion Field. The number of games. Exactly what it was. Yeah, okay. Well, Fred was my roommate. Left me up yeah. that town, I, I'm really <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I think you may have been there, Fred. I, let me tell me. Let, all right, let me finish my story. All right. All right. Let me let me finish my story, guys. Come on. We won't ever get out of here. Um, and I came home for a football game, but also it was the birthday of a girl that I was really good friends with. There was no romance. In fact, she and her husband are still really good friends today. She was turning 16. And on Saturday night, we were at a party at a guy's lake house. And a lot of y'all know what lake house I'm talking about. Smire Lake. Yeah. Was it Smire Lake? Is that where he where, where Benner's? Benner's, it was Benner's yeah. Lake? Yeah. Benner. Does he still have that place? Yeah. No. <laughs> no. 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 He done it? No. Oh, he might have it. Anyway, I'm at the, it was a very festive party, if you get my drift. And but I don't remember why. I was I was not having a good time. I was just I remember just sitting there thinking and looking around and um and then and it was not an audible voice, guys, but it was like a voice within me. And at the time, I had no interest in Christianity. I had no interest in it. I had, not, I had none. Life was good up at Swanee. But while I was there, I remember it was like a voice that asked me this question. Is this what life is really all about? Mm-hmm. And guys, that, I believe, was the moment that God really began to draw me to himself. And it was through some other people. It was through reading books. I even read the Bible. I think Fred was thought I'd lost my mind. What's he doing reading the Bible? And then uh, some circumstances. And all those came together uh, to spring break of March of that year, if that'd be uh, 74, um, that I waved the white flag. And I believe that God opened my heart and I surrendered. Nobody, I didn't pray with anybody or anything. I made that decision, or that decision was made. Now this is this is this is the difficult component of all this. <clears throat> the Bible is clear. He draws us because we don't want to come. And in my opinion, he opens the heart like he did with Lydia. That's what you call predestination, guys. The election came from John Calvin, the central part of the of the Presbyterian faith and uh, maybe some others. The other view is that God draws us, it's biblical, draws us to Himself. But ultimately, you have to make the choice. You make the decision. It's free will. Now, I believe in election. I believe in the first. And the reason is because it's biblical. But I understand the free will part because we use the argument of free will to, to explain evil in the world. So you can see how there's two different views and... It's there, and it's the, the 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 hard part of the first one 
And I struggle. I, I mean, I don't know how to say I struggle with it, but there are times I do. If if God draws us, if God opens the heart, okay, He's opened my heart. Well, what about my friend down here who's basically a, a heathen? Why don't He open his heart? Why don't He open everybody's heart? I mean, that's a legitimate question, and it's a struggle. If you take the first view, the second view is kind of like, okay, we, we, we're drawn to God, but I chew. And, and this was, was part of my, my story, is that I think for the longest time I resisted because of Romans 2.5. Because your stubborn and unrepentant heart, that, that was a part of the problem. And so the question, that stubborn and unrepentant heart, does God open it or do we voluntarily do it ourselves? And there's a difference. Does that make sense, what I've said? What's the first one again? Yeah. Well, it sounds like you're using the word election versus choose. Well, election means that God, it's called God's elect. That there are certain people that basically He chooses to open their hearts and the rest He does not. But That's he, what election he, is. He chose to open... You, you had to meet Him. I mean, he, he, he put the message out there, but you acted upon it. But you chose to yeah. read those books. Yeah, I understand. Right. I understand. you got to sit him first. I got it. So the, I got it. And so I got what, it. What they're asking, I, I agree. Are, do, is, there a, is there not an association between... Yeah, the there is. Yeah. In both cases, you're drawn. But the, in the end, is it like Lydia where God opens the heart? Or do you open your heart yourself voluntarily and surrender? I think they're one so, of the same. I'm, well, I'm they're not. I promise you they're not. <laughs> the, what, Doug? What? It's the, you're saying the, the first one. John do, y'all, do, y'all, do y'all all know that term, predestination? <coughs> yeah. It's very controversial. It, 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 it causes a lot of people. huh? I just didn't realize you were on the one. I am. I didn't know that. Yeah, I am. You were predestined. Now, I, yeah, I believe in predestination. I believe in the first view that I point that God opens the heart that we don't. I mean, you're going to miss your three o'clock meeting, but doesn't that, to some degree, say that, that He's not a loving God to all them? If you believe that, then He's select. Well, that's what I said a minute ago. That's why. It's so that's the troubling part. Why did He? Do, why did He open everybody's heart? Yeah. It, doesn't that have direct? You know, contradiction, conflict with a loving God who loves all. Russell, I don't know that I. It's kind of like if somebody put it this way: that everybody is everybody is on their way to perish, and that God rescues some of them, not everybody. And that's that's what predestination is. Well, a lot, like I said, a lot of people don't like the loving God. A lot of people don't like it. It's in the 39 Articles of the Episcopal Church. Of course, I don't think the 39 Articles are in there anymore. But anyway, I tell you who who gave gave the best sermon I've ever heard on it, who believes in predestination, is Frank Limehouse. In fact, I may try to get a copy of it. Everybody can listen to it. He does a great job explaining Probably much better than I do. Uh, Yeah, Reed, what? Well, you do have people who never hear... That's a good good entree into my final point. All right? Final point. And then if if some of you need to leave, fine, we can sit around and talk some more if you want to. This is from Keller. Keller, there's an old 20-something-year-old sermon that Keller's preached on this. And he agrees with me, by the way. Um, Just for one reason. Not because I like it. Because it's biblical. He says, Don't you know that Aslan was right in the Chronicles of Narnia, the great Christian fairy tale? 
There's a place where the lion, the Christ figure, says to the little girl, Child, I tell you your story, but I don't tell you anybody else's story. Like the one that Reed just talked about, the people you know that are maybe in the bush people in Africa never heard. There's a place, Keller says, where Jesus in John 21 is talking to Peter, and he says, Peter, someday you're going to die for your faith. You're going to be crucified for your faith. You remember what Peter says? He turns, he looks at John, he says, well, what's going to happen to John over here? And what about him? And that's kind of what we do sometimes. Well, tell me about this person, or what's happened to this person, or this person, or this person. Jesus says, Peter, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You, Peter, you follow me. What is Jesus saying? He says, Peter, mind your own business. He says, it's going to be hard enough for you to discover my relationship to you. If you say, I cannot accept the way you relate to me until you, until you explain to me how you're relating to everybody else, do you realize what a ridiculous request that is? He says, my friends, do not be distracted by what he's doing to other people. Get the sweetness out of what He has done for you and what He is doing in your life. It's like a guy that I went through the investigative study with, probably, well, I can tell you because I remember where I I lived, 20-something years ago. And he had all these questions, particularly what about the Bushmen in Africa? And we talked about that. And finally, one day, and I'll never forget this, we're really at the end of it. And I thought, you know, I'm not getting where he says, you know, I've realized something. He says, I can't spend the rest of my life worrying about the Bushman in Africa. He said, I know this. After we've gone through, I need Jesus in my life. My family needs him. My marriage needs him. He became a Christian that day. You've been listening to the Reliable Truth Podcast with Richard E. Simmons III, Founding Director of the Center for Executive Leadership in Birmingham, Alabama. For more resources, please visit our website at www.richardesimmons3.com or by email to richard at richardesimmons3.com.